Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. Bless you. You may be seated this morning. Hallelujah. Well, how many enjoyed a delicious Thanksgiving dinner? All right. Did anybody take a bite of dinner and it was only half done? Did you bite into a roll and it was just dough or anything like that? Probably not. Not unless I was the chef, and then you might, but even. Can one even imagine the creative genius of God beginning something and not completing it? Of course not. Amen. My uh, youngest daughter, Autumn, she used to have, she said something really silly one time, and I forget what it was. It was something about the moon, but anyway, uh, I thought maybe that's a, God always completes everything, right? Except maybe when you see the half of the moon. I don't know. She, what was it, Kathleen? Something like that, anyway. But if we look at the first chapter of Genesis, we discover a word that is used multiple times that God describes each day's completed work. He uses the word good to describe each day, okay? Four different times. And our definition of good is somewhat based on moral excellence or satisfaction in quality. But the Hebrew word for good is toab. I'm not sure if that's the right way to pronounce it, but... That's the way that you're going to get it here this morning, okay? Toe with a B after it. Which means good in every way. Potential, beauty, fruitfulness. Okay? God's, when God says good, when He says well done, my good, He means a lot more than just satisfactory. Okay, and then when on the sixth day, in verse number 27 of Genesis, the Bible says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, both male and female created he them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. Can you imagine I don't know how he did it. Did he just speak to him? Maybe, maybe he actually touched him. I don't know. Wow. But literally, God blessed them, his creation. He said, be fruitful, multiply, subdue, have dominion over everything on the earth. Blessed here means to be safe and secure in a state which brings happiness. I think they were pretty safe and secure, right? There was no boogeyman they had to worry about. Guns weren't even invented yet, all right? But God then proceeds 
we read in verse number 31, And God saw everything He had made after it was all done, and He said, Behold, it was very good. Good was not enough. Like an artist who stands back and looks at his finished masterpiece, which I've never had that opportunity, understand, but I can imagine that Michelangelo or whoever of the great artists, once they completed something after so much time and so much effort and so much planning and the creative genius that comes out of them, that they stand back, God stood back, He looked at what He had done, and good was not good enough. He said, behold, behold. In other words, He was getting the attention of whoever was alive during that time. He says, I want you to be looking at what I have done. I want you to know it's just not good, Adam standing beside me, but it is now very good. Very good. At this point, good's just not good enough. It's not adequate to describe what our Creator has just completed. And so he adds that very simple word, very. But to go from good creation to very good, it required an Adam standing at his right hand, created in his own image and likeness. He looked at him and he said, oh boy, that's good stuff right there. He says it's very good. God uses very, but the Hebrew word, miad, if you add that word to tob, when you add miod to good, you get very good. And they tell me from research into people that know it all, it is almost impossible to exaggerate this phrase. In other words, it means exceedingly, abundantly, heartbreakingly, richly, loudly, immeasurably. You can't measure good, but in it's used in a festive, generous, happy, intelligent, charming, splendid way. In other words, God is now excited about what He has already done. In other words, he's looking at Adam and Eve and he says, oh man, he says, oh man, now I am one happy temper because I have just created something after my own likeness. And you got to understand that when he puts his DNA in humankind, there are things that are going to happen. He got excited. Kind of like when he jumps out on the cloud one of these days, and the Bible said he gonna he gonna give a little, hey, hey, hey. no 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 it said he gonna give a, a shout. So the Lord formed out of the ground every animal of the field 
every bird of the air brought them to Adam. Listen to this. He says, he brought them to Adam. He said, I just wonder, I wonder, I wonder what he will call them. You know, understand, there is a, an occurrence here, an event that has never taken place. In other words, God is looking at what intelligence that he has instilled and the creative genius that he has instilled in his masterpiece called humanity. And he's thinking, oh boy, I wonder what Adam has got in store to call all of my creation. The Bible says that he formed him, he brought him to Adam to see what he would call them and whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. In other words, God didn't say, no, Adam, I don't like that. He said, no, Adam, he says, I like it. You go, man, because you are my masterpiece. Now listen again. Ephesians 3, 19 and 20. Verse 19, Paul is praying for the church, that would be us, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what it says. That's his prayer. He says, I want you to be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, whatever God has got for you, I want Him to empty the content inside of you until you are filled to the brim. The Amplified says, the richest measure of the divine presence that our body can hold. That's His prayer. And in the next verse, he says, in the Amplified, Now to him who by the action of his power that is at work within us, he is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely, means there's no end in sight, infinitely beyond our highest prayer, whatever you can pray, whatever you can desire, your thought, your hope, or your dream. In other words, Paul is saying, I want you to know that my prayer is that you could be filled with an abundance of what God has for you, and the abundance of God is so far out there that you can't even dream what He wants to do for you. You say, well, that's an exaggerating preacher. Oh, okay. The compound word for more abundantly is a word that I can't even spell by looking at it, let alone pronounce it. It's called huperac peraso. It is a superlative of superlatives. In force, in other words, it is the utmost of the utmost of the utmost that you can describe. 
It speaks of the ability of God to do something. Not what you can do. Paul says, I want you to know that whatever you can think, whatever you can desire, whatever you can pray, that God is, uh, He is so rich, He is so powerful, that He can do over and above and over and above and over and above. He says, it speaks of the ability of God to do something, that ability having more than enough potential power This power is exhaustless, and then when you get to that point, you put some on top of that. (laughs) He who started something will finish what he started. I will build my Church, saith the Lord God Almighty. And it don't matter what comes against you, the church. He says, uh, the gates of hell will never prevail. Because, you know why? Because I'm doing the building, and you are the framework. You are the bride. You are the church. I started something in you, and I am not done yet. I will complete what I start. So, Paul says, I am confident that he who began a good work in you is able to perfect and complete that work until he comes again. Oh, did I forget to tell you that in the second chapter of Genesis, get this, this has always intrigued me to say the less. Did I forget to tell you that in the second chapter of Genesis, after God had made everything, the Bible says that God made a river that flowed out of Eden by the name of Pashan. It flows around the entire land of Havalah. And listen to this, where there is gold. And it doesn't stop there. It says, the gold of that land is good. Oh, yeah. The gold that flows out around and surrounds Eden, it's good gold. (laughs) It's good gold. And not only that, he says, but bdellium and the ox stone are found there also. Oh, come on. We... Christians that live on spiritual welfare drive me nuts. God is not poor. He never has to go to the bank and get a loan. When he started it, he says, I want you to know, folks, get the picture. All around Eden, there is gold, and it is not just gold gold, it's good gold. 
God's not done with you yet. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't tell you. Okay? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare, build, make, design, plan, I got enough time on my hands, I will build something fairly decent for you, okay? If I go and build that place, I will come again. I will come again. I came once, I will come again, and every eye will behold me, whether you're dead or alive, Brother Woods, I want you to know that I will come again. And when I come again, I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He is still building and designing a place that you cannot comprehend. Your little brain is not big enough even to get a hold of what he wants to do and what he is doing. We are told when God, when God's done, Revelation 21, verse 10, we're told an angel carried John away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city. So it says, that holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And verse number 18, And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. And the city, not just the streets, there will be streets. It says, and the city. And the city was pure gold. So it says, read it like clear glass and the city was garnished you know little with all manner of precious stones I don't have time to read them you can read it if you would like and the gates were 12 pearls and the street of the city was pure gold as transparent glass God's not done building yet and he is not done with you you are a work in progress god began something in you when he filled you with his spirit when you went down in water baptism when you repented of your sins you were born again god's not done he just started where you are right now i hope and i pray that you have made a little bit of progress at least in your understanding that god is not 
poor and he is not he is not inadequate in his skill in building you. He's not building the church walls with lumber. He's building a church. He's building you. You are the church. You are the redeemed. You're the one that He came and He went to Calvary for. He didn't come and bleed on a cross so that, uh, so that we could strike a gold mine. The gold mine is knowing who He is. The gold mine is that He is inside of you. Peter and John said, we ain't got silver and gold. Not yet. But what I do have, what I do have to give to you, it will do the trick. We know the story. Come on, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk with God. Jesus said it. He said, hey, you destroy this temple three days, I will raise it up. First Adam fell. Second Adam prevailed. When Jesus rose from the dead, after defeating death, hell, and the grave, he became the first fruits of a new A new man. Sometimes that's... Okay, you understand? He took flesh and deity and formed a new man. God, through Christ, had transformed humanity back to a process of transformation that would get him back to perfection. We were formed in God's image. We became deformed from his image by sin. But through the gospel, we are transformed back into that image through the gospel. Oh, come on. John 20, 22. Back up a minute. For that, Nicodemus, smart guy. Smart guy. I know you're a teacher. Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, I'm telling you what, Nick. You're a pretty smart fellow, but you got to be born again. And I'm not, I'm just speaking off cuff here for a moment but now why in the world why they need to well you need to be born again is because sin deformed you and if you want to get back to a state 
that I originally designed for you to become, then you've got to be born again. You have got to have that same spirit that is part of this the creative genius DNA inside, the power that moved upon the face of the water, you got to have that same spirit inside of you in order for me to start this transformation from the inside out because when I baptize you, I am going to baptize you. You are going to be endued or clothed with power, not from the ground up, but from that from heaven down, you're going to be changed, son. You're going to be thrilled again. Amen. That's why the, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and when we see people speaking in tongues as the Spirit becomes alive inside the I want you to know that that is, that is happy days. That, that is a day where God says, all right, he is born. He is born now of me. He is no longer deformed, but he is being transformed, not by man's teaching or man's power, but I am transforming him by the blood covering of the Lamb of God and by the Spirit that I merely spoke. I can't live for God. Are you really? Whoa. What mine are you digging from? The copper mine? We know the story, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all endued or clothed with power from on high. Repent, the message is. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Galatians says, For as many as you that have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. In other words, you are a different breed, okay? You are no longer, I don't look at you as a Jew or a Greek. I look at you as one of mine. You are a new model. You are a new creation. You are something that is born not of the blood, nor of the will of man, but you're born of God. Colossians 3.10, you have put on the new spiritual self who is being continually, continually renewed in true knowledge in the image of Him who created the new self. To become, that means to become so possessed of the mind of Christ in thought, in feeling, in action, to resemble Him and reproduce the life He lived new in respect to quality. Not a renovated self, but entirely new as in species or character. You're not just... When God... When God... When when you are born again, you are no longer just some, you know, some insignificant 
person walking around in a world without purpose and hope. No, you have become a brand new creature. You are something that God created when He enrobed Himself with humanity and and the deity did the work and He took it to the cross and He buried that old man once and for all. And when He came out of that grave, He became the first fruits, the Bible says, of an entire new creation. By the blood of Christ, he made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one body, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. The word new in Greek comes from the word kainos, and it's not like a new car rolling off the assembly line, one of many cars just like it, okay? There's a lot of white Honda Accords out there, trust me. No, no, no. New, this word, kainos, it refers to a different kind and quality or a completely new model unlike anything that existed before. Are you with me this morning? I'm here to remind you that he that began a new Good work in you. He's not done with you yet. He is still building. And He's got all of the resources to form you and make you into the image that He has visioned for your life. I'm not my own. Bought with a price. That's what the book says, right? Whew. Not my own. We pray, God, not your will, but not my will, but your will be done. Are you sure? (laughs) Are you positive that you want my will in your life? Hello? So we're no longer Jew or Gentile, but we're Christians, and not just new, but superior. Catch it? We're not just a different color of the same model coming out. No, no, no. We are a completely new model. Unique and distinguished from everything else. You're not a Jew. You're not a Greek. You are of a family of God, a holy nation. You are a people that are called out by my name. You belong to me, and I am your God, and I will continue to work my miraculous through you as long as you allow me to do it. Are you with me? I'm not a new model. I'm superior model. Try. Yeah, somebody I like very much. He looks at me and says, you're built different. I am built different. Better believe it. I am absolutely built different. You know why, Brother Tim? 
Because I believe through not just knowledge, but I believe because I have experienced what God has done in this no-good-for-nothing life that was deformed. And God said, if you will give me your life, I will transform you into something far more superior than you could ever imagine. God's not done with you yet. I want to give you two powerful testimonies that exemplify this message this morning. Job. He lost his family, his fortune, and his health. Whew. God must be done. <laughs> Hello? In fact, Job 3.1, after this, Job opened his mouth, let the day perish wherein I was born. In other words, Job, Scott, you're, you're done with me, you know? Why don't we just get it over with? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been there. Okay? But there have been a few dark sides in my life. Yeah? Oh, come on. Sure. Job says, man. He says, God, I don't know. You know, living for you, I, you know. You read the book of Job, it's all about him holding on to his integrity. That's the whole message. That word is in there multiple times. And he says, boy, you know, things ain't going good. Let the day perish wherein I was born. Later on, and I don't know how long, but later on in his great suffering, God would inspire him to speak some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. Okay. Now, I know I can look here this morning and I can tell you that there are some of you that have went through some stuff. Okay? I'm not quite sure you're on the level of Job yet, though. But it's relevant. We know. We know when those things touch us, how hard it can be. We know that, oh, this is a tough deal. You know, life is tough. But he wrote later on as he went through this whole process, he would write some of the most powerful words in all of the Word of God. Job 19, 19. My close friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me, he said. I have been reduced to skin and bones, it says. And I have escaped death, or if I could use just this little couple of words here, I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth. So he says, I've been reduced skin and bones and have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. That ain't much to hang on to. And here's what he writes in verse number 23. He says, 
Oh, that my words could be recorded and written in a book. He says that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. In other words, he says, Oh, I wish that somebody could read and get a picture of what God has taken me through. And he gets to this point. He says, here's the words that I wish I could write with an iron pen into a rock. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth after my body is decayed. And this I know. This I am confident in, if I could. This I know, Job says, that in my flesh I shall see God. I shall see him for myself. I will see him with my own eyes what he said I'm overwhelmed at that there are really three things Job did to I think to get to that point one writer brings this out in in uh, one of his uh, commentaries and I, I feel like it was it was worth noting here three important things Job did number one he renewed his perspective. He held on to his integrity and trusted in God's mercy and his will for his life. Number two, he released his past. He was willing to let go of what he had lost. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you've you got to think about that one for a moment. And number three, he remembered his purpose was to bring glory to God. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Should we accept only the good, he said, and not also adversity? And this is what brought it all together. And the Lord restored. Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. That's what the book says. Job says, boy, I wish somebody would write this down. <laughs> Job, we're reading it, my brother. I will see you in heaven one of these days. And I will hug your neck. And I will say thank you for giving us that ray of hope even when you suffered so much. Thank you for speaking words to the church that help us to get through those dark valleys in life. Thank you, Job, for giving us such inspiration that when we come home and the job is no longer 
on the market or when the, 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 the child is sick and you don't know what's happening or somebody is in the hospital. Thank you, Job, for giving us that ray of hope that we can trust in God's mercy and in His grace and His grace will get us through. And one day we may not walk on streets of gold here, but one of these days we will see Him just as He is and we shall be just like Him in the new image that He created for us in our glorified state. And we shall be ever with Him. Wow. When He prayed for His friends. And here, the end of the story the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. God's not done with you yet, whoever you are here today. God's not done with you yet. God's not done with you yet. You lost a couple of things on, the, on your journey of serving God, that's okay. God's not done with you yet. He is just in that building process. He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to know that He's in charge, that the enemy does not have any, uh, any entrance into your life except I allow Him to do that. you got to trust me. I will get the job done. I'm God. I will be. I didn't just start something in you. I am a completer. I will complete what I initially started in your life. You got no idea what I still have in store. Elijah. First Kings 19, Elijah's running for his life. He wants to get as far away from Jezebel as he could. He goes a day's journey into the wilderness. He sits under a tree and his prayer is, he prayed that he might die. He said, Lord, I've had enough. I mean, come on. I took on 900 prophets. Hello. I took on 900 prophets and I prayed and you answered. You took care of business. Now you're allowing that no good, whatever her name is, Jezebel, to, you know, to put out a warrant, dead or alive. He says, it's enough already. I've done, phew. I don't know how old Elijah is at this point, but the Bible says he's gone. He's, he's gone, man. He's running. He's taking a vacation. And I, can I say something to you? And some of you will get this. Some of you may not. You know, there's never a vacation when it comes to the things of God. I mean, I try to take this hat off once in a while, right? You know, 
it just doesn't go away. There's always, there's always someone that is hurting in the church. There's always somebody that's sick. There's always somebody who's disappointed. There is always somebody that, you know, that has been offended. There's always somebody that has got kid problems. And you understand what I'm saying? Is it, the, Elijah, you need to get this, son. I'm not done with you yet. You're looking for a way out. I'm looking for a way in. You're looking for a way to escape this thing called preaching. And I'm looking for a way in because if I can get in, I want you to know that when I get done with you, there's going to be a quieter situation happen and you'll know it when I'm done with you. He prayed, Lord, I'm done. Take my life. I've had enough. I'm not better than everybody's gone before me. And the Bible says Elijah goes to sleep and there's one of them angelic beings comes on the scene and touches him, wakes him. He says, Elijah, get up. He says, I cooked you a little meal here. You need to take a bite. Whatever it is, goulash, oatmeal, grits, whatever. Maybe a good old Starbucks latte with a lot of caffeine. He says, you need to eat. What? What are you doing bothering me? I'm, you know, I was hoping to go to sleep and not wake up. Well, you need to wake up and you need to take a bite of this. He does. He goes back to sleep and... Hey, Elijah, wake up again, okay? Bakes him another pancake, right? Little Aunt Jemima syrup on it. Whoops, they changed the name. I can't say Aunt Jemima no more. Put a little syrup on it. The angel says, hey, 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 Elijah, I'm just the messenger, okay? God said that you are to eat this because you're going to need it. Listen carefully. He says you need to eat this because the journey is too great. That's what it says in the book. He says the journey that God's got for you, you're going to be needing this angel food. That's what it says. He went in the power and strength of that bread, the Bible says, 40 days. That's what it says. Church, God's got something great in store. But the journey is going to be really, really challenging to get there. And you are going to need to eat. Amen. Come on. 
Come on. You need to get into this thing. Quit pretending like that as long as you read a couple of chapters a day and you make it through the Bible in a year that everything is A-OK. Come on, folks. You need to, you need to eat it and digest it. Because to get to where God is taking us, you are going to need the strength that only comes from this manna. Bible says Elijah went in the strength of that food 40 days. He goes into a cave. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? That's what he says. What are you doing here? He says, well, hello, I'm the only one left. And I'm having a little pity party, if you don't mind. You woke me up twice, and I was fixing to go to sleep, okay? And you sent that whoever angel and gave me this this food, man, is making me all jumpy. He says, why are you doing here? What are you here for? He says, well, I'm the only one left. I'm it. I'm it, God. We know the story. God said, are you kidding me? I got people all over the place. All over the place. Young people, I know it's a challenge serving God in school. Our young people, they're all gone today. They're all gone. Almost. Oh, come on. There are testimonies of, of some of our ladies and our young men that stood the ground in the public schools when they were the only one. It's true. You got it. He says, Elijah, he says, what you need to do is you need to go outside of the cave and I want you to stand on the mountain before the Lord. We're told the Lord passed by. I don't know how. Simply says, he passed by and then once the Lord passed by, there was a wind that came that like, you know, broke the rocks. And then an earthquake came that shook the whole place. Whoa, I'm feeling God now. And then fire came. Right? That's what we're Oh, yeah, man, I feel God now, man. The place is like shaking. And then, oh. But God was not in the fire. He was not in the wind. And he was not in the earthquake. God had to get Elijah to a place where his still, small voice could penetrate his very mind and heart. That's right. And after the fire, there came a still, small voice. Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. You got two kings to anoint. Well, I ain't never anointed a king before. I know. Hello, I told you. I'm not done with you yet. And then when you get done anointing them kings, I want you to find this dude by the name of Elisha, and he's going to fill your shoes. In fact, he is going to be so much better than you. 
Whoa. God, I'm pretty good, you know. Elijah, don't think that I can't have somebody step into your shoes and me put my double blessing on him and he absolutely blow everything away that you did. Oh, come on, man. That's what, that's what I want to do. I want to instill into somebody this morning that you, I don't what your perception of me is other than being a little bit crazy at times, but I want you to know that if I could just somehow, some way instill into your heart and mind that God wants to do something so absolutely extraordinary that whatever I've done will just be like nothing. How do you know when God's finished with you? And it came to pass as they still went on, Elijah and Elisha and talked. Behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, horses of fire, parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. 1 Thessalonians, how do you know when I'm done? Well, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort, comfort, comfort one another with these words that He is not done as you stand the morning you'll know when he's done you'll know when he's done Elijah oh my goodness son you did something that was so extraordinary in fact other than Enoch and we don't have a lot of history on him but Elijah, you took off in a chariot and then you came back down on the mountain of transfiguration and visited with Peter, James, and John. How did you do that? I was transformed. You say, preacher, you don't really believe that. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, 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 I do. Let me remind you, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it. He will perform it. He will complete it. And it's not completed until the day that He returns. He is not done with you. He has just started. Oh, listen to me. John 14, 12, greater things shall you do. You know why Jesus Christ didn't immediately heal the world? Because He wanted you and I to get a glimpse of what the world could be with Him in it. Yeah. And you got to go to the back of the book to read that there are no more 
There's no more death. There is no more pain. There is... He wanted you to he wanted us to get a glimpse into the future. He wanted you to understand that yes, you will feel a little bit of pain here on the earth, but I'm telling you there's a day coming when I'm going to lay all this to rest and I will complete what I have started and what I started even in the very beginning when I clothed Adam and Eve with the with the skins of animals when I instituted that blood covering for the plan of redemption and he says when I st- started that I started that I will finish it and when you see him in the book of Revelation you see him as the Lamb of God greater things shall you do what I'm just telling you Jesus breathed on him after he resurrected from the dead, and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Understand is that when the Holy Ghost comes into a life, and let me use my imagination just a little bit, it was as if he breathed into Adam, the first Adam in the beginning, and he became a living soul. When God breathed into you the power of the Holy Ghost, of that resurrected Christ, you became alive in Christ. You became a superior model, not some renovated thing. You became something unique uniquely distinguished, separated for His glory. Greater things shall you do. What is the potential of God inside of man? Well, He's pretty limited. Oh, you mean you're saying God's limited to what He can do? Well, no, I'm saying that I'm kind of limited. You're saying you're putting God into a body. You're saying that God can't operate through you? Well, of course not. You know, I'm like, you know, I got all these weird old things. I'm a little imperfect. I got a few flaws in me, you know. Well, that's the kind of person God really likes. Because because he knows that you are so crazy and deformed that you could never convince anybody that you can do this on your own. They look and say, that's got to be something, you know, you're you're drinking something pretty powerful to bring about this kind of, I know it, I am drinking the, the new wine. We're going to open up the altar this morning. I'm going to invite each and every one of you. And I'm praying that every single person here would come down here this morning and receive something from God because I know God has something for you today.